you open up your Bibles to St. John chapter 6. St. John chapter 6. We're going to jump in at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus had answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we look to you again at the, in this service, we want to thank you, O God, for the spirit that's here. We thank you for the people, and we thank you, O God, for the words and songs that you've already brought to our hearts, O God. And we do thank you that there never was a time, Lord, that you weren't faithful, that your compassions weren't there and knew every morning. We thank you, O God, that every time, O God, you've been there, O Lord, for us, and we knew we could count on you. And I just pray, Father, that tonight, that the words that I speak, O oh God, will reach the hearts of the individuals tonight, O oh God. O oh Lord, that their faith can be encouraged, O oh God. And I pray, Father, that their walk with you will be strengthened, O oh God, by tonight's service. O oh Lord, I thank you, O oh Lord, for your faithfulness, and we trust in you once again. O oh Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We find in this passage of Scripture that the disciples had been with Jesus and they had been uh, with a big crowd of people, too. At the very beginning of chapter 6, it said that he, there was a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And so we know he had been healing and been doing a lot of wonderful works. It goes on a little farther, and it says that they were hungry, and, and he tells his disciples, let's feed them. <laughs> and uh, one of the disciples says, well, well, here, here's a young boy here who has five lowly barley, uh, five barley loaves and a couple of small fishes. But that ain't going to be enough. And so the Lord Jesus, he took them and he said he distributed amongst the disciples and he blessed it, gave thanks for it and blessed just those few little loaves of bread and those few little fish. And, and lo and behold, that little bit of meal turned into feed 5,000 men and it wasn't just the 5,000 men. They took up 12 baskets of leftovers, Amen. you know. I don't know about you, but when it comes to leftovers, I'm looking through my, my, my I'm trying to find the Tupperware to put it all in, you know. You know what am, how am I going to save these leftovers? They had 12 baskets of leftovers. I have a feeling that the disciples each got their own basket. I'm not sure, but that's what I think. <clears throat> Maybe they all got their own basket to sit down with. But they had all that, and then... Uh, he decided he was going to go over into the mountain and pray. The disciples said, hey, we're just going to get on a boat, and we're going to head to the other side. So the disciples left, got in the boat, and gets to the other side, and Jesus had been up in the mountain to pray. Well, we know what happens in the middle of that. Uh, the people saw the disciples leave. All the big crowd of people saw all the disciples leave, and they knew Jesus wasn't with them. So they was looking around to find Jesus. But in the night, we know what happens. There was a storm, and Jesus walks on the water. He goes across 
the water and he catches up with his disciples on the other side. Well, the next morning, all that crowd of people that had been on one side of that sea had decided they couldn't find him anywhere. There were some boats that come along and they decided that we're going to get on these boats and we're going to go to the other side. That's where the disciples went. Let's go over there too. So they got on the boats and go to the other side. I don't know how many boats it took to get all those people over there, but they got over there and they start looking for Jesus and they finally they find him. And they say, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did you get here? <laughs> we never even saw you leave. How did you do that? When did you get here? You know, just a little small talk. They thought. But the thing was, Jesus knew their hearts from the very beginning. And there's none of us that fool him. He knows everything about us, down to the motives and the very intentions of our heart. He's got it figured out. And so the very first thing he says to them, he uses the words verily, verily, which truly, truly. It's not that I'm what I'm telling you is true. I'm telling you what I'm telling you is really, really true. Okay? I'm going to tell you something really, really true. And he said, I want to tell you what the real truth is. The real truth is you guys didn't come over here just because of those miracles. The real truth is you came over here, he said, because you were, had, you're ready to eat again. You're ready to eat again. It's time for another meal. Looking around where Sister Sheila tonight. We need another meal tonight. And that's kind of the feeling a lot of people, now it's time, it's time to eat again. And so let's find Jesus. He had supplied this and he had supplied that. He had healed and he had done so many things. So let's just get him again. We, we got some needs. We got some things we really want in our lives. And isn't it wonderful that God has provided over and over again for us and he keeps on doing it, he keeps on doing it. And we thank God for it. We all depended upon him. Every one of us tonight probably could tell testimony after testimony of all the things that God has just showed up on the scene for, for us. And, and we're so grateful. And we really are grateful. And we should be grateful. And everything that you've received, you've received of God has been a blessing of God. And these people have received a blessing of God. But there was something that they were not receiving that they needed. And that's what he wanted to get at. He said, you need, you need a motive change. You need an intention change. You need to have your, your basic root desire of what's going on inside of you changed. They had the wrong motive. They've been working hard. They worked hard to get to the other side of that river. They've been looking all over for him. They've been searching for him on one side. And when they finally got to the other side, they still were searching for him. They, they put in some effort. They were diligently looking for him. They put in some work to try to find it. The problem was that their motive was wrong. And it insulted God. And I thought, is that even possible? That we can insult God? You see, Jesus came for a purpose. And when he was to be received for that purpose, then that was honorable. But when you receive Jesus and you don't receive him for his purpose, that's dishonorable. It's really dishonorable. 
Can you imagine if someone came and there's some top dignitary of this, you know, and, and they're, they're, you know, suppose they're really renowned at whatever. I was thinking, just, let's just take a basketball player, for instance. A big, tall, handsome, athletic, have all kinds of ability, score three-pointers right and left, right and left all the time. And you call him in and say, hey, you know what, we're really excited. We want to be hanging around you. But guess what? What we want you for is we want you to bring water to the other guy. <laughs> I don't know how you look at that, but that's basically kind of what they were doing. Jesus had a purpose that he could fulfill was so much greater than what they were asking for. It wasn't like God didn't want, Jesus didn't want to feed them because he willingly fed them and he fed them more than what they asked for. But they were missing his purpose. See, I think a lot of people today still miss the purpose of God, of what he's here for, what, he, what he's about. A lot of people think he really is just about answering their prayers. He's become their genie in their bottle. He has become that one that they just think, that, you know, well, I don't have anybody else to talk to. I can talk to him. And they forget and they don't realize his real purpose. And what we've done is we've insulted him. when we don't take him for his real purpose. He told them, you were working hard for this. You, you all worked hard to get over here to find me. He said, but you know, that's not what you need to work for. He said, you're working to just get your bellies filled. You're working just to get that meat which perishes. You're working just for the carnal desires and just for your personal selfish appetites. He said, there's something much greater that you should work for. He said, if you just, if you labor for it, he said, labor for that meat which perisheth not. That doesn't perish. He said, but that which endureth into everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for him hath the Father sealed. So he said, you know, there's something greater than material things. I think one of the things that's hard for us in the world that we live in to, uh, to, to see that, to recognize that. But there is, and, and we know that. We know that on even an intellectual level. We know that there's things in this world that's much more important than material things. You was just to say, wouldn't you say love is more important than money? Well, some of you might want to steal a little money. I don't know. But I mean, what good is all the money in the world if there's no, no love in it? So we know love is an eternal thing, and it's more important than a material thing. And so we do have that understanding that there is things that are more important than material things. But he's telling us we need to labor, don't labor just for the material things. And we know the Bible does tell us we got to work. You got to work to eat, right? I mean, that's, he wasn't throwing that out. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And there's a lot of people who want to throw that out too and think that everybody else is supposed to feed them. That's not the way it works. If you don't work, you don't eat. But what are you saying? Don't be having excessive a worry and a striving about this earthly things when there's something greater. In comparison to what God has for you, you ought to put greater efforts into the things for God than you do into the things of this earth. Most of us don't think like that. We think it's normal. 
if God would expect, I mean, if our job or our boss expects you to work eight hours a day. I know they've changed it in some countries. You only have to work six. You only have to work four days a week or something like that. And they're trying to change it here in America too uh, so that our work days are a little different than what they used to be. But we, nobody complains with the understanding because you know if you're going to get paid, you're going to have to work in some kind of way, whether it's by hours or by salary or by, uh, by the job or whatever. You understand that there is something you put out to receive. And nobody, nobody even questions that even once. And I'm not saying God requires this, but just suppose this turns the other way around. Suppose God said, okay, you weren't rewarded. Give me eight hours. Now, God's not saying that to us. But I think how easy it is for us just to accept without any kind of problem that our boss is going to require us to work. But when we think about God and he says, labor that for that meat which doesn't perish, God's asking you to work? All of a sudden that throws in the face of everybody, everything everybody ever thought about God and religion and Christianity. And they say, it's, not, it's my faith, it's not my works. You can't work and you can't get rewarded just by working and doing, and that's all right. You're exactly right. You can't create enough merit on your behalf to receive blessings from God. Yet at the same time, he tells us to labor. He tells you to labor. He tells you to give you to give some diligence to, 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 to strive. Those are, those are labor words. Strive to enter into the straight gate. Put some effort into it. A lot of people think they're just going to float off into heaven somehow and just accidentally end up at the pearly gates and just going to be welcomed by such a surprise. No. Everybody who makes is the one who tried to. You're not getting to heaven accidentally. It's a striving. It's an effort. It's a diligence. It's a search. It's something that somebody is going to put some work into of some sort. You say you have to work, but he says it's a gift. You have to labor for a gift. That almost don't make sense. What was he saying? Many, the, the part is, it's not that you, somehow that your work qualifies you for a gift, but it's that you have to keep yourself in a position and in a place to receive it. If you don't keep yourself in a place and a position to receive it, you don't get it. And we need to have it, even though it's freely bestowed upon all men. Anybody who meets the condition. Eternal life is much greater than physical life. And the Son of God has both. It was both of the physical life, eternal life, all of it is in the Son of God. Physical life lasts until you breathe your last breath, right? It's over. Eternal life can start now, and it never ends. And so when you stop and think about it, is one really greater than the other? Absolutely, but they both come from God. What happens is so many people have cut themselves short of what all God would have for them in their lives. They become to cheat themselves out of the greatest blessing that God wants because they're actually after the material things instead of the spiritual. But they cut themselves short. 
all the time. Jesus said that God's approval was upon him. He had his seal, the seal of God's approval. And Jesus had said earlier in chapter 5 that the works that he did, they were enough to verify and to be a witness that God had sent him. His works of all that he did. And uh, I know that a lot of the people say, you know, well, we want want to get involved in that. That'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? I could just stand up here and say, everybody who's sick, come here. I got it. It's like that. Look at the winds. Hey, be still. Just stop. And you start looking at all the stuff that he could do. Man, what could we do if I just had just, you know, a couple fish? How many could I feed? Wouldn't it be wonderful? I don't know, I cook and I cook for crowds and do it pretty regularly. I'm fixing to have a lady's tea and I'm all the time trying to figure out exactly how many, how much meat you got to buy and how much of everything and to make sure it spreads. I thought, how, how cool would it be if I just go in there and just lay my hands on that brisket and it just multiplies. <laughs> just do it. Now, I've watched God do stuff. I had a little cafe, and I had to close it because of my sickness, but I had a little cafe called Our Daily Bread. And uh, I got really worried about it because one day I ran out of bread. (laughs) And I had been buying a certain bread, and I didn't have enough time to make it before the day. And and so, and I got real serious that morning. I said, Lord, Walmart is out of it. This other store's out. There's no store has my the bread I buy. So I'm really seriously praying for our daily bread today. I really need it. And thank God Phil ran to Rustin and found our daily bread. But I thought, what a day. Wouldn't it have been great just as a multiplied the bread, you know, just to make it, made it go. There's a lot of people want to have that because it meets our needs. It makes us feel good. We can do with what we want to. With I mean, it would just be a, be a really cool thing. And it's not that God's withholding any good thing from us, because he won't. He won't withhold it from us. But there's something greater than that. There's something greater than that. We need to covet earnestly, the Bible says, the best gifts, and yet show unto you even a more excellent way. And so so when we think about labor, when we think about in prayer, and in obedience, and in believing that we're seeking. Those people went to a lot of work to try to find Jesus. But they were doing the wrong things. Most people want the material gifts, and they want to do what Jesus did. And they were asking him, well then just give us the formula for it then. You know, tell us what you do, and we can do it too. We won't bother you no more. Just let us start doing it now. Tell us what we must do that we might work the works of God. We know it's important. 
and we want to do it, and we're willing to do it, you just tell us what, what the recipe is. You tell us what the formula is. Do I have to give a, a, an offering or a tithe? Is there some kind of rite or ceremony? And is, Shall I start giving more to the poor? Is that it? Or should is, is my church attendance what the problem is? Or perhaps, perhaps, oh, oh, I got it. I haven't been visiting the widows and the orphans and those that shut in, and so I guess I'll put that on my list. Lord, what else is on my list? Oh, I, I forgot. You wanted me, perhaps, or did you want me to read a little bit more and pray a little bit more? And uh, maybe, maybe I should just pick a day every week. Just go stand on the street corner and just say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. What is it that I need to do that I might get these, this ability to work the works of God? We as humans sometimes get obsessed with the doing. And we follow certain doings. And all those things I mentioned, there's nothing wrong with witness on a street corner. That's good. Praying, reading your Bible, giving to the poor, visiting the widows and the sick and the shut-in, the orphans. Those things are really good, giving a tithe and offering, having special ceremonies where you recognize things like foot washing, the Lord's Supper. Those are good. But in all of those, if faith is not the basis of it, there's something missing. It's just a work. It's just a doing. It's something you do. The Lord is looking for something deeper than what you do. There's a lot of people who have come to me and come to the church and says, now let me know, tell me what, what you want me to do, what all the do's and the don'ts so I don't mess up. I don't want to look like a fool, you know. Do you require everybody to do this, everybody to do that? You know, what's, what's the do's and the don'ts? And I kind of need to know so I don't want to look like a fool here. In other words, what everybody's doing is wanting to do what, what seems to be appropriate in the crowd in which they're at. And I'm glad most of y'all are very appropriate here. And we all do those kind of things that seem to be appropriate. But there's something more than just being having appropriate acts and right acts. You see, the Jews were the ones who had, uh, they operated by the letter of the law and very strict to it. And anybody who did not operate by the same letter of the law and the traditions and things that were handed down to them, they looked at those people as though they were the worst people under the sun. And it just so happened, Jesus into that category too in their minds. Right? He healed on the Sabbath day by all things. Yeah. And some of his disciples ate without washing their hands ceremonially like everybody else had washed their hands, dipping in the pots five times. So he didn't look very spiritual to them. And they were just like, is there something more we can do? Is there another oral law? Is there another tradition? Is there something more? I'll tell you what has caught many a church group up. Because sometimes they get so caught up and they think, oh, well, this one seems to have it. Let's just copy everything that they do. There was this one man, I really liked his book, honestly. I can't remember the guy's name, so I'm not trying to run him down or anything, but I just don't really remember his name, but he wrote this really good book. And he was, it was a book on faith, and I loved it. 
And I got to the very end, and he said, after all I've said, this is all right, but don't think you've got faith if you wear a necktie. And I'm like, well, 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 well I don't, you know. But I was thinking, that was such a strange comment to make at the end of the book. Because his faith was connected with the fact he didn't wear a necktie. And he thought that was the only way you could have faith because that's the people who he'd been around with who had faith didn't wear neckties. You see, faith is not wrapped up in your necktie or no necktie. Faith is not in those things that we do, although faith causes us to do things. All right? The Bible says, Jesus, they had asked, what about all the works that we need to, what's the works that we need to do? And Jesus narrowed it down. It's not works, it's work. One. One thing is the work. And he said, this is the work of God. Very simple. Believe. Believe on him whom he has sent. It seems very simple, and we're living in a world of easy believism in America today. And you just believe this, believe that, and it's all just all it's a fairy tale belief. But they don't get the they don't get to the essence of what belief really is. Belief is something that goes much deeper than me just adhering to a certain group of facts. Group of faith is so much deeper than what a lot of people think faith is. It's not a feeling. It's not just operating blindly. It's not keeping up with some kind of traditions or ceremonies or laws or rules. Faith is more than that. You see, what Jesus had offered to them was greater than, the, than anything they could have had. It was greater than the bread that they had just eaten. And I thought, these people... You wish they could grab a hold of what he was trying to say to them, but they didn't grab a hold of it at all. And the chapter before he had talked to them about, had you really believed Moses, you would believe me. And so they get down here in chapter 6 and they start saying, hey, you want to prove to us that you're really, what you're saying is really true? Then let's tell you, I will tell you what we want you to do. And then we believe. In other words, they want to put God back into their control with their puppet strings and him to do, perform what they said to perform. And here's what they said. They said, Moses, our father, they gave it, he gave us bread while we were in the wilderness. So why don't you give us some of that bread from heaven? Just let it fall out and then we'll, we'll believe. We've picked what we want you to do, Lord. And if you'll do what we say, then we believe you. And Jesus, wait a minute. I want you to know, Moses didn't give you that bread. That bread came from my father. And my father's sending you something else. He's sending you me. I am the bread. I'm the bread of life, and it's so much greater, he says, than this earthly bread that you could have. But once again, they had rejected him and continued to reject him because he did not fit into their preconceived ideas of what they wanted him to be. You see, there's different kinds of faiths. I guess you want to say it that way. But there's a, there's a faith that's kind of 
the idolater's faith or the practical atheist's faith. I call them practical atheists because they don't claim to be an atheist. They just practice like an atheist. All right? And so I call them practical atheists. They're practicing atheism. But it was like the Athenians, the, the people there in the, on Mars Hill, the Athenians, you remember they had put gods up to every god, had images up for all the gods, and uh, they put one to an unknown god. They admitted they didn't know him. And so they had a belief in a god that was very vague. They were unsure, but they didn't know him at all. And actually what it was, they began to invent their own religion. They designed their own God because they didn't know him. Perhaps thought he couldn't be known. And they lived kind of superstitiously. And I think there's a lot of people today that's there. They don't really know God. They don't want to cast him out forever just in case he really is real. But they don't have a deep, they don't have a relationship with him. They don't hear him talk to them. He, they don't really talk to him in a serious way. There's not a constant, they have no knowledge of God. And if they don't really know God, they don't know how to obey him either. Because they can't hear from him, so they can't obey him. So they're just practical atheists. Then there's another kind of believing, and I call it demonic faith. Demonic? Yeah, demonic faith. In James, it says, even the devils believe and tremble. Even the devils believe and tremble. The devils, they know God. They recognized who Jesus was. They knew he was the son of God. They, had a, they, had a, they, they were afraid of him. They had a, a respect for the son of God to a certain extent, didn't they? They didn't want to be tormented before their time. They wanted to live in peace, but they knew who he was. They knew they just wanted to be left alone and don't, don't interfere with what I'm doing. I want you to know the people who had demonic, the demonic faith <coughs> is a faith that knows who God is, but they don't obey him. And they don't love him. That's demonic faith. That's the same faith of the demons. See, a lot of people think, well, I believe in God, but yeah, that's right. I really don't show much love for him, and I really haven't been very obedient to him. I want to tell you, well, you're not any different than the demons. That's a horrible thing to think about. That my faith is equivalent to demonic faith? That I'm actually working in opposition to an almighty God? That I'm not accepting him as Lord and Savior? Then you're operating like demonic faith. Not the kind of faith you want. You don't want the practical atheism or the idolater's faith. You don't want demonic faith. So what kind of faith do you want? You want the real, effective faith. That's what we want. It has the right quality in it. Even it doesn't seem to have much quantity. Many times the real faith will struggle. Sometimes the real faith is... is, is continues on, even though it feels weak and insignificant and frail, 
Yet there's something genuine in it, something that's really real in it, something that's saying, I just, I just want to give it all. I want to love him with all my heart. I want to obey him. I have this desire. There's something inside of me that says he's the real deal. There's a real faith. There is a real, real faith. It may struggle, but it's real. It may be small. But it's alive. It believes God for what he says. It asks for God for what, it, what he says. And that faith will wait for it. it will, we'll wait for it. There is real faith. That is a victory. The Bible says faith is a victory that overcomes the world. It says it's a faith that works by love. It says it's that faith is based upon the word of God. That's where it comes from. It comes from the word of God. The Bible tells us that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now that's a hard one for people to believe. A lot of people operate and doing all kinds of stuff so they don't have any faith. So that means that I'm operating under unbelief? Yeah. If you don't operate in faith, then you're operating with unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is sin. Unbelief is wickedness. Unbelief has condemnation upon it. You don't want to ever operate in unbelief. I shared with perhaps some of you, and I don't, if you want to hear the testimony, you can log in on the, the Atlanta Church of God in Texas. They have a I think it's still there. Is it still there, Sister Brenda? A testimony? Uh, I, they asked me to give my testimony about what had happened because they were one of the churches that kept up with me and, and uh, all the time was praying for me like you all were. And so I gave a testimony. I just want to share a little part right now. Two years ago, I was here in camp meeting. And some of you remember, I preached a message on faith. You remember that? I remember it. I had been staying at Brother Sherman and Sister Evelyn's house, and, and God just, I, it was one of those times at camp meeting, I preached twice, and most of the time I don't ever do that, but I preached twice. And I knew God had just kind of like downloaded that message into me. I was so excited. I love to preach on faith. It was one of my favorite topics. And, uh, and so and we know God did some good things that day. He really did. And at the end of the service, there was a, a bunch of people came forward to be prayed for. Many people were healed. I gave several testimonies about how God had always come through. And uh, so all of that had happened. I had started a book, and I mentioned it in that service. I had started a book, and I'd gotten up to four chapters on how to have faith. And I was really excited about it. And I went from then, and about the time, right after that, in August of, that, of 2020, I had bought the publishing rights to Bible Pads. And I was something I'd always wanted to do since I was 19 years old. I had made a statement. If I was anything I want to do, I want to be able to have the Bible Pads. And I want to do that. And lo and behold, the Lord just came through. It was just another example of his faithfulness to me and answering my prayers. And so I was really excited about that. That was August. 
November, I come down very, very sick. And I knew it was attack from the devil. And I couldn't write any more in that book because I kept waiting for the Lord. He's going to do something. He's going to do something. But you, I want you to know something that I believed that all the times, for the most part, God has always delivered me right out of the problem. He's answered in the way I had wanted it to be answered. He had taken care of things the way I wanted it to be taken care of. And I was just, I was always stood in awe of what God could do. I mean, he just did mar- marvelous things, miraculous things for me. And so whenever I got this problem and my stomach kept growing larger and larger and larger and got to the place I couldn't move in, in the bed until I picked it up and moved it myself, you know, it was so miserable. And uh, I was losing weight. My, I looked like a, somebody that was starving to death. I looked really bad. And uh, I kept waiting on the Lord. Lord, you're going to heal me. You're going to heal me. And then it looks like, well, then maybe God wasn't even hearing me anymore. I'm telling you what, that really got to me because I thought perhaps he's, what's happened? What's happened to me? And the thing I didn't want to lose more than anything was my faith. And I said, if I've lost my faith, I've lost everything. I didn't want to lose my faith. And I was in the hospital in Jackson Parish Hospital there. I'd been there for a few days and they couldn't find anybody and no specialist would take me and uh, there was nobody. They said my case was too risky and nobody wanted to, there was no room in any hospital anywhere. And uh, I thought, great. And they would come and report to me how I was dying every day. <laughs> and I, my sister came in that night um, to see me and I, I told her, uh, she said, are you feeling bad? And I said, yeah. I said, but that's not, she said, well, I'll pray for you that you feel better. I said, no, don't pray for my body. I said, pray for my faith. Pray for my faith. That's what feels like it's suffering. I said, I still believe, but I don't understand. To pray for my faith. She left. There was an old black nurse that had been quiet. She was my night nurse, and she came in, and she said, Honey, I just got a word from the Lord. I got to talk to you. I said, Okay. She said, I got to tell you something. She said, God has not changed, and you have not changed. She says, God just got a new message for you. I thought and think about it. She said, and, and she kind of like read my thoughts. And she said, you think that you're doing no good at all for God laying here in this hospital bed. I said, you're right. I feel like it was just a bad end of a good ministry. That's what I felt like. Just a bad end. And she said, you think you're not doing any good for God in this hospital bed. She said, but you have no idea. What's happening right now? Well, I said, I don't. And I asked her, I said, does anybody live that you know of that's like me? And she said, no, you're a different breed. That's what she said. You're a different breed. And I said, okay. 
And she said, you think no, God's not, is not doing it? She said, you're not doing any good. She said, but you have to understand, God's doing the good. I, I stopped thinking about that. I thought, I couldn't do any good at all. I was too sick to even do any good. I was just depending upon him to do whatever. But she said, he's doing the good. She said, I want you to know there's not a person in this hospital and most of this town that don't already know that God has kept you alive when you should be dead. She said, God is working through you and in you, even in the midst of it all. And I'm like, I had no idea. I had no idea. The entire radiology department come and brought me a huge get real card. I didn't even go to radiology. I didn't know anything about the radiology department. They come in and brought me flowers and big thing. And, and when I opened it up, I cried because they all gathered from the radiology department, gathered in my room, as many of them as could fit in there. And inside of that big, huge card, they had taped all the scriptures that I had given them over the last year. You see, when I ran the cafe, one of the things I wanted to do was get the word of God out. And it was hard to talk to everybody individually, so I put the scriptures on cards, and I taped it to all the meals that went out to everywhere. Well, the radiology bought from me almost every day. I didn't know who they were, but they came back, and they said, this is real, it's real impact that you've already made on our lives and our community. And I knew that somehow that God was working and I didn't know God was working. All I had done was just try to have some faith. The last thing I wanted to do was displease God. And that was the thing that made me wait so long to go to the hospital. I know a lot of people think you should have went, you were crazy not to go. Perhaps I was, I don't know. But I wanted God to get all the glory and all the credit. I freely believed, I still believe God. Well, my daughter went and told the doctor, she said, we just want to thank you for all you did. And my doctor, she threw her head there. She said, I didn't do nothing. She said, any good that happened to her, God did it all. So she said, I didn't do nothing. And she didn't, she couldn't. The Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We may be doing acts that we think is showing but if it's not really with faith and love of God in our heart, what you do don't really matter at all. You can do all kinds of things, but if you do it without faith and without love, i tell you what, you're missing the greatest thing of all. Missing the greatest thing of all. The work that God would have you to do is to believe on him whom God has sent. There is a faith that pleases God. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. You have to first believe that he is, that he exists. And that means in the here and now. There's a lot of people who believe God did exist and God's going to come back. They don't believe about him being right here, right now. You have to believe that he's here and that he's here right now. And that he is all he ever said he ever was. And he still is that. That's what part of a pleasing faith is. You don't please God outside of that kind of faith. 
You don't please him because you somehow think my mama knew him, my grandpa knew him, my grandma, brother so-and-so knew him, whoever. It's not about that. It's about you knowing him. You must believe for yourself that he is and he is and he is right now all that he ever said he was. And more than that, the Bible says you not only have to believe that he is, but that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, we have to put faith in his faithfulness. You see, one of the things I learned through this struggle was even when my faith got really weak, it didn't affect his faithfulness at all. Even when I felt like I was too weak to reach up or even know how to pray, I still believed that he would be faithful because he remembered his words even if I didn't remember them. He remembers all of his promises even if I don't remember them. He knows how to come through even whenever I don't see my way through. God likes a faith that believes in him, that trusts in him. And I'll tell you, that believes that he'll take you through all the way. He likes a tested faith. You see, I'd heard one time this one preacher, and I think it was Brother Larry Dishman said, made a statement, I don't know, I think it was him, but he made a statement, anytime you say you love somebody, you obligate yourself to him. And I think, well, that's true. When you love somebody, you obligate yourself to prove it. Otherwise, it's just words, right? When you claim to believe in God, you set your, these are my words, not his, but when you believe in God, you set yourself up ready for a test. You become ready, because it has to, if it's not tested, we don't know if it's even real. It has to be tested. It's required, faith requires a testing. It requires a proving in our, in our lives. And there's nothing wrong with it. When you go through a test and you go through a trial, it's not a sign of a lack of faith. It's time for faith to get to work. It's time to hang on in spite of it all. My faith wasn't in that I would live. My faith was in that whatever happened was okay. That's where my faith was. And I know sometimes we get our faith built up in the fact of oh, this, I'm, I'm going to believe God for this and he's going to do it for me. And so you get your faith becomes in the outcome or in the gift from God. Folks, that's not where our faith needs to be. Our faith needs to be in him. He must be diligently seeking him, not his gifts. Diligently seek him. I know this one girl one time, she said, I'm going to get saved. And I said, well, that's great. And she gave her heart to the Lord and she tried to live right for about two weeks and and she came to me and she said, I ain't doing that no more. And I said, she was just honest. I said, why? I mean, what, what happened? What's wrong? You know, I wanted to pray with her or whatever. She said, I told the Lord I'd get saved and live for him. He'd give me this certain boy for my boyfriend. And said, he went and got somebody else. And I said, oh, my. <laughs> what do I say? You know, but... That's, that's honest to God truth is what she said, you know, because she was believing him for only for that. But God wants more than just to give you his gifts. He wants to give you himself. Himself. He wants that tested faith. He wants a faith that's willing to be put to work. You just, I'm telling you, faith that's not exercised is just no good. 
It has to be exercised. It has to be worked. It has to be tested. It has to be tried. Otherwise, it never gains any strength. It never, a lot of people say, well, I don't know how the other person seems to be such a person of great faith. I'm going to tell you how anybody gets to have greater faith is because they trust him with little faith. Whatever little bit they have. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's not the amount of faith you have, it's the quality of it. It's the quality of faith. So if you have just a tiny bit of faith, you say, I just can't believe God. I just know he's going to do it. Then that's all you need. He's able. You might be able to reach up just a half an inch, but I'm going to tell you what, God can reach from eternal glory all the way down to you. Amen. He's able to make up for wherever you're missing in your lack of faith. As the man said, uh, Jesus, he says, if you can just help me, you know, Lord, if you can, you know, heal my son. And the Lord Jesus said, if you can believe. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. And then the man cried out, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. In other words, he said, whatever part I'm lacking, help me. And I want to tell you what, God is more willing to help you with your unbelief than what you are willing to ask him for it. He wants to have us, and he's done everything he can do to bring us into a closer relationship with him. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your ability. It doesn't matter your talents. It doesn't matter. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. Really, really know him. It's a gift that he's given to you. It's the gift of God himself. It's not his gifts, but the gift we have is Christ in us. It's God in us. He gives us of him, of himself. And if we can just be open enough and less of us enough just to let God have his full and complete control in our lives, I'm going to tell you what, there is no end to what God can do through you. Through you. Yes, he can. He still can through you. Calm the waves. Stop the storm. Heal the bodies deliver the demonic, he's still able through you, but it's still God. It's still God, and you have to believe that he, he is who he says he is. I would tell you what, that's real, and real effective faith. A faith that's not just limited on the, the here and now, but a faith that reaches far beyond. You know, the greatest thing for any of us is whenever we face death and can have still have that expectancy and that hope and that joy, even in our last breaths, to say, I'm looking forward. I'll tell you what. The best is always yet to come for a child of God. It's always, the best is always yet to come. We can't ever look back in our lives and say, well, it was better back when I was 20. It was better back when I was 30. It was better back whenever when, you know, I was in my teens. Whatever, whatever place you want to look back to is a good time. That's never the best place for a child of God. The best place for a child of God is always yet to come. It's yet to come. When, the, when our faith becomes sight and we begin to open up and see the glories of heaven, we see the face of Jesus, we begin to see all that he did for us that we had no idea, we had no clue how he worked and how he worked in us and through us. The best is yet to come. And yet so many people come down through their lives and the troubles and the trial and the hardships and the the. the, the, the temptations and the pressures of this world just draw them away from God and they cheat themselves out of the greatest blessings they could ever have in life. 
I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know why God gives this message. I don't know. But you might think, you know, yeah, we really want to see God work. God really wants to work. As I preached this morning, Habakkuk prayed, Lord, revive thy work. We want the work of God revived. You know what? It's always going to be in proportion to our prayer and our faith. Did you know prayer is worthless without faith? It's just an exercise. There's no point in it at all without faith. The greatest thing you can do and the greatest work you can do for God, and, have, and it starts, it's where it starts, is with faith. It's with faith. It always starts with faith. That's something you have to, unbelief is something you have to stop. That's the only sin I know of you absolutely have to stop or you can get saved. <laughs> you have to stop it. All the other sins and all the other problems, God can deliver you from it and help you out of it. But if you choose to believe, that's where it begins. That's where it begins. What could God do? Stop and just meditate on it a minute. What could God do with people who truly believed? What's possible? What's possible that God could do? Anything that he's ever done. Anything. God can still do it. It doesn't matter what it is. Can you believe him for it? Can you believe him for it? God wants a relationship with you more than you want one with him. God wants you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he's going to start adding everything else that you need in your life to you. He will, every time. But your chiefest desire can't be the bread and the loaves and the fishes and all the material things. Your chiefest desire has to be the kingdom of God. What does God want in my life? Because it's so much higher and greater than anything in this old earthly realm. You see, this world, humanity for the most part, are just living on a survival plane. And they feel like, you know, if I can just get ahead, just barely ahead of the other guy, then I'm making it, right? You know, like this one. I think it was one of the preachers had him here and said he was worried about a bear chasing. He said, as long as I could outrun my wife, I felt I was okay. And I got thinking about that. Whoa. But that's the attitude. And I mean, he wasn't doing wrong. He was just relating a story. But their attitude for most people for their whole life is I just got to get barely by. But I want you to know, God never gave us that idea, and Jesus never gave us the idea that he was going to be frugal with his blessings. He's going to be sparingly with his blessings. Never was. He talked about life and abundant life. He's not frugal. He's not sparingly. He's not stingy with anything he's got. Always gives you more than you ever, ever need. Whatever you can believe him for, he can do it. And I wish I had time, and I don't have time, but I wish I could tell you all the times that God came through abundantly, abundantly. And he's just that kind of God. He's just that kind of God. And I praise him for it. 
because he knows when our heart's chiefest desire is to serve him, to honor him, and to believe him, he'll do what we need. Let's stand together to sing a song in closing. Do you believe with all your heart? Do you want to see God work? That's where we got to start.